How are you? Good. Excellent. So, Jockey, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about your Lancet Oncology publication. We're going to talk about the 010 trial. And then we're going to talk about, we'll go on to 274 and talk about adjuvant therapy broadly. And then we'll talk about biomarkers right at the end, maybe. All right. Sound good? Okay. All right. So, um, yeah. So, uh, let's start that. I think that uh, um, for patients that um, are high-risk, muscle-invasive, uh, bladder, renal, pelvis, ureter, that have had uh, radical cystectomy, nephroureterectomy with a uh, lymph node dissection, if they come back um, with, uh, with uh, T2, T4, or N+, after receiving new adjuvant chemotherapy, uh, the question is if these patients can benefit of receiving... Oh, Joachim, I'm not sure we started yet. We started yet? <laughs> oh. No, we need to... We, we have... We need a little kickoff. I yeah, mean, we, we couldn't, we couldn't keep, we couldn't keep you, keep you back, Jockey. I, I love the enthusiasm. Yeah, no, 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 no. I don't know. So you are. I'm, we'll I'm kick it to, off. I'm, um, I'm trying to follow your hyperactivity syndrome. <laughs> Listen, Brian, why don't you do the intros? Okay. okay. Give me a pause and then we'll start. No, just go straight in. Go straight in. Okay. All right. Welcome everyone to the next uh, paper of the month installment. We're joined by Joaquin Belmont. Uh, bladder cancer expert. We're going to talk broadly about adjuvant immunotherapy and bladder cancer, but more specifically about a recent atezolizumab study published in Lancet Oncology. So, Akeem, why don't you introduce yourself briefly and then tell us sort of the, the premise of the study, and then we'll go from there. Uh, hi, uh, this is Joaquin Belmont. I'm a geomedical oncologist. Um, I'm uh, directing the bladder uh, unit at uh, Beth Israel Deaconess uh, in Boston. And I was the PI of the Invigor O10 that has been recently published uh, in Lancet uh, Oncology. So uh, this trial was trying to uh, answer one question, the benefit of immunotherapy um, in patients who um, might have received new adjuvant chemotherapy and there is a still disease after the new adjuvant chemotherapy at the time of cystectomy or uh, nephroureterectomy or lymph node positivity or those patients that are T3, T4A, N+, not having received new adjuvant chemotherapy. So in that study, uh, patients uh, were randomized to receive a tezolizumab every three weeks for a period of time or of a, of a year versus observation um, every three uh, weeks. So this was observation. This was not placebo or blinded placebo. And no crossover was allowed. The randomization was one-to-one there were some stratification factors like the number of lymph nodes resected, prior new adjuvant chemotherapy, lymph node status, and also PDL1 status um, uh, 0.1 versus 2.3 uh, based on the atezolizumab type of scoring. So um, this trial um, randomized 809 patients, and uh, uh, the results, uh, so the main point of the trial was uh, um, disease-free survival in the intention to treat a population and this was a hierarchical study design. Um, and as mentioned, if we were looking for an improvement in progression-free survival. So um, the, unfortunately, this trial uh, was uh, not uh, achieving the, 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 the endpoint. So the, the, the DFS in the intention to treat population uh, was in the in patients receiving a tesolizumab, the, the median DFS was 19.4 months uh, in the observation arm it was 16.6 months, and finally, with a hazard ratio of a 0.89, this was known statistically significant. Um, and we were so disappointed because we did 
uh, different types of analyses, uh, like assessing specifically patients with a high PDL1 to 3 um, versus low PDL1. And in no one of these uh, subset analyses, we were able to find a benefit. Uh, we didn't see also uh, any benefit in uh, based on the, 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 the lymph node status, the having or not having received new adjuvant chemotherapy. Um, and in the end, as mentioned, this, this, uh, this trial was a bit uh, disappointing because it uh, was a completely negative study. Also, Joachim, what was, the, uh, what was the OS, Joachim? Sorry, what? The overall survival. Yeah, so that, that I was going to talk about that. So oh, there I was apologize. an interim, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there was an interim overall survival analysis in the intention to treat population, uh, and uh, despite the median was not reached, the, the hazard ratio was 0.85. Um, obviously, that the trial uh, uh, is uh, is let's say with the limited follow up, but uh, if you see the curves, they are almost. Uh, overlapping, so uh, no benefit on uh, on uh, on overall survival. Shocking the shapes of the survival curve. Sometimes in the immune oncology study drugs, we expect the curves to go apart late and then stay apart, and that's sometimes why trials are negative. In this trial, they go apart a bit at the beginning, and they kind of come banana back together. What's going on? Yeah, well, we, we saw that. Uh, we, we see that, that more in the, the, the DFS curves. So uh, meanwhile, Patients were receiving a tesalizumab. The, the curve in the tesalizumab uh, arm was uh, a bit uh, higher than the observation arm. And in the survival, overall survival, uh, we see almost the same. And impressingly, is um, meaning that when the patient stopped uh, uh, receiving a tesalizumab that was a year, we see the curves in the DFS uh, uh, plot uh, coming together. And we see the same in the survival curves, although uh, that the curves are coming together later on time, are coming together after 30 months, meaning it looks and, like there was some benefit on, meanwhile, the patients were receiving a tesalizumab that went away when they did stop receiving it. And is, Joaquin, do you think that's real? Do you think that's really because the benefit wore out when you stopped drug, or is it just because you have fewer events towards the end and the curves come together? Yeah, who knows? So, uh, um, yeah, we, we are trying to find something positive in this On trial. our paper of the month, Joaquin, we don't like the who knows answer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so uh, I, I believe that this, this might be real. So there might be some benefit that, uh, yeah, then uh, uh, once you stop, uh, everything comes together. But, uh, it just yeah. it reminds me of the Avastin, you know, adjuvant Avastin days where the curves Absolutely. came together and colorectal. And we said, gee, maybe you need to continue it. But that never, never really went anywhere to my knowledge. So, yeah, just curious. Absolutely. So, Jokin, um, yeah. my next question for you uh, is that uh, in the subset analysis, one would have predicted the lymph node positive patients, particularly the PDL1 positive lymph node positive patients, they are likely to have minimal residual disease. And early intervention with a tezolizumab in that subgroup really should have made a difference, shouldn't it? What happened there? Yeah, so uh, I, I think uh, we don't know what happened, but in the end, as as, as mentioned, we did we didn't see so patients with a positive pathologic lymph nodes. So uh, there was a like a, um, the hazard ratio was a uh, 0.9 only versus uh, uh, like all the others uh, not having even any benefit. So um, I, I think that um, yeah, unfortunately, we didn't see any difference just dissecting. Um, uh, lymph node status, we only see potentially a bit of benefit in patients having pathologic T4 and 0. So that here the hazard ratio was uh, 0.6, but the confidence interval were closing the one. So um, yeah. this is the only subgroup that potentially, uh, meaning having more 
uh, advanced disease, locally advanced disease, uh, did benefit in some way of a of a, a tetanus treatment. Sure, Kim. Why didn't the biomarker work? Well, that's that's a that's a good question. So, um, likely we yeah we have been talking extensively about the, the value of of a PDL one um, predictive value in a, a, and here in the adjuvant setting uh, we we can see that it's not it's a bit more confusing in the when uh, in the tetanus treated patient. So, and uh, likely we need to look for additional or much better biomarkers. And I think that this gives the opportunity that likely uh, to uh, like explain a bit uh, your experience when uh, we apply specific biomarker like the cDNA in these patients receiving adjuvant atezolizumab. You present this data at ESMO um, uh, Immunotherapy Congress on December last year. Can, can you explain us the results? Wait a minute, who's asking well, the question? Well, normally in, paper, yeah, normally in paper of the month, it's quite, it's quite, it's quite unorthodox to start turning it around, but I'm happy to have a quick go if I may. So can I, before we do that, I mean, before we do that, Tom, I want to steal your spotlight, but the Atezo biomarker, at least in Invigor 130, seems like the best biomarker or the most enriching, if you will, compared to the others. But in this case, it didn't really have an effect. Is that just random chance or is it because different setting? Frontline so what metastatic? you're saying is in the 130 trial, it's a frontline metastatic study, which yep. was chemotherapy versus single agent Atezo in the pd one biomarker positives with the 142 biomarker with more than 5% expression in IC, which is the unique biomarker expression. And yes, indeed, in that population, it's got a hazard ratio of 0.5 versus chemotherapy, not statistically significant, by the way. Um, yeah. And um, that's in the chemotherapy, um, the cisplatin ineligible subset. What, you know, so Joachim, what, it does look like the biomarkers behaving differently in different settings. What's yeah. the explanation for that? Yeah, so, so likely, uh, and um, obviously these patients, uh, we are mixing population of patients that did receive chemotherapy before or didn't receive chemotherapy, different disease burden. So I think that that might make the PDL one not working in that setting. So uh, if we see the, 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 the PFS curve uh, in patients with a PDL one two three, so there is completely overlaps, meaning there is no predictive value uh, on, uh, on mm-hmm. the, the positivity, right? So and likely this is because some uh, in, uh, intermediate therapies or something has happened. It's not like the Invigor 130 that likely is much more pure. The biomarker is in patients that didn't receive any prior therapy. Brian, can we come back to Joachim's excellent question about the CTDNA <laughs> data? Yes, I'm dying, please. So um, the story there is that CTDNA is a... Um, a good way of identifying um, minimal residual disease and ctDNA positivity uh, using a, uh, a tumor specific approach uh, using the Notera platform uh, identifies about forty percent of patients post cystectomy who are ctDNA positive. Their relative risk or hazard ratio of relapse and death is about eightfold, um, and uh, those individuals also seem to benefit from a tezolizumab therapy. And there is some link between the PDO1 biomarker TMB and ctDNA positivity underpinning the biology. And a new trial in VIGA 011 has now started. And in that study, patients are having serial ctDNA measured after the cystectomy. And when, when and if they are positive, they're then randomized to placebo or a tezolizumab. And so it's a really exciting study because it's really changing the way we think about the disease. 
And instead of waiting for radiological relapse, which we've done before, which clearly is inaccurate for many reasons, we're now actually trying to identify uh, minimal residual disease and early intervention. And it's possible we end up using a lot less imaging to follow these patients up in the future. But Tom, why wouldn't, if ctDNA is detecting microscopic disease, why wouldn't you know, node positivity do the same thing? Well, I think it's, so I think that's quite complicated because this is disease-free survival and not overall survival on this trial. And mm-hmm. that is relevant because um, disease-free survival and lymph nodes has always been a pretty tricky area, calling out which lymph nodes are positive. Yeah. And so I'm, you know, I'm actually, and I'm going to come to this in a second. In fact, that's a really good link. Um, Joachim, there's a recent study, 274, um, which, uh, um, Dean Bajoran presented, uh, Matt Galski um, involved too. That trial was positive. That had a hazard ratio for disease-free survival of 0.70. Um, there was um, that reduced to 0.53 in the biomarker positive. Remember, completely different biomarker, really important point to make. Uh, the subset analysis for disease-free survival was pretty unremarkable, and really, um, with the exception, perhaps, of the upper tract tumours not appearing to get much benefit. Um, we haven't seen the overall survival of this study yet. The study was randomised in this case against uh, placebo, not against um, observation. Have you got any explanation for why one trial was positive and one trial was negative, Joachim? And a good answer to this question, Brian and I had a discussion before this meeting because we've already had one paper of the month this month. <laughs> so we decided we really can't have two. So we would only award it if you were able to answer this question well. <laughs> so, well <laughs> all right. So I, I, think, I think that you, you have provided the, the, the main differences of, of these uh, two trials. The first one, one was a, a placebo, meaning the patients received IV therapy every two weeks, uh, even not knowing if they were receiving treatment or no. That's the, the Checkmate 274. For atezolizumab, it was observation, meaning the patients that, um, that uh, were assigned to observation having uh, lymph nodes positive, and likely they, didn't, they were not comfortable on doing that. And uh, the, 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 the drop rate of, uh, of, uh, of treatment withdrawing the consent is like uh, um, 15%. We don't know additional data about what happened with uh, other patients. So that's one point. Because it, when, whenever we compare the data, is the progression free or the disease-free survival in the, in the nivolumab treated patients is 21 months. If, we're, if we see the, 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 the disease-free survival in the atezolizumab treated patients is 19.4 months, so it's not that much different. However, when we compare the disease-free survival in between the placebo arm in the in the checkmate 274 and in the observation arm in the ATESO, we see that in the placebo for checkmate 274, uh, the, the the disease-free survival was 10.9 months, but in the ATESO uh, observation, it was 16.6 months. So meaning it looks like hmm. the patient's not receiving any type of treatment in the ATESO um, um, arm of observation. They did much better uh, it, and nobody knows what, why, why is the, this reason. And this makes this trial not being, um, well, this trial is being different, not uh, observing an effect on the atezolizumab uh, um, patients included in the Invigor O10. So the- and the, and the, the last thing that you mentioned, upper tract, 20% of patients with upper tract, and we know that this uh, atezolizumab or immunotherapy nivolumab is not working in upper tract based on the first plot of these two trials. In the checkmate, upper tract was 20%. 
in the in vigor, it was 30%. So more 10% more of patients with a nose went into the gut. Sure, Kim. Um, some people might say um, that, I mean, that, that nivolumab is a more active drug than atezolizumab, and that might be the explanation. What's your reply to that? So I think that my explanation is like, uh, take a look to the observation arm versus the placebo arm. Why a similar population of patients, one receiving observation or one under observation, the other one receiving placebo, uh, patients on placebo are, are, are doing worse, uh, meaning the disease survival is only 10.9 months, and, and the other one observation, meaning patients that they are aware that they are not receiving treatment, uh, the DFS is 16.6 months. Does, what has happened does this, does this mean that you conclude that the overall survival of the nivolumab trial is going to end up being similar to the atezolizumab study. So, yeah, so uh, likely this might happen in the intention to treat population with this hazard ratio of 0.7. What I am surprised is that, as you mentioned that, in the, in the hazard ratio in patients with pdl one positivity in the checkmate 274, the hazard ratio is 0.53. And we mm -hmm. might see a, a, a benefit here. We will see. Obviously, we need to wait for the outcome of this. Um, is, there, you go, Brian. is there any other reason for the difference in the median DFS in the, in the control arms? Was the scan interval different? Are there patient characteristics? I don't know them well enough offhand. Because it almost seems like it should be the opposite, that observed patients would be shorter. Yeah, I mean, I think, Brian, so I, I, I'm inclined So, the, of course, we can't be doing cross trial comparisons. And we know, and Brian, you know more <laughs> about renal cancer trials than anybody else. And if you look at the performance of sunitinib in some of those trials, you know, in the actually Pembroke trial, sunitinib performed much better than in, in the Cabo Sun trial, for example, or whatever. So, yes, cool. of course, there's a lot of variability yeah. there, and we need to be very cautious. One of the things that's surprising, I think, and when we get unusual results, I think sometimes we do try and overinterpret them. But I think Joachim's position on this is quite logical, in that you can see Mr. Jones comes into clinic, He's been told he's got super aggressive urothelial cancer. He's got T4 disease, N1 disease. He's been told he needs some therapy of some description. And he sits down, he's randomized to best supported care. And he thinks, you know what? If he's not had adjuvant chemotherapy, neoadjuvant chemotherapy, he might say, is there anything else good for me out there? And then I can see that saying, well, there's adjuvant chemotherapy, you know, not sure about the benefit, has a ratio for survival in a meta-analysis, significant, but no positive trials. And I can see that person saying, listen, I, I want that treatment. And that, so the, the higher dropout rate and the shorter yes. interval together has two pieces of evidence pointing towards that. But of course, it's over-interpretation. Um, but, you know, it, other, and, and there's a pembrolizumab study around the corner. I don't know when it's coming out, I'm not involved. And that, of course, will be very relevant in this setting. And if the overall survival looks very similar to the atezolizumab, I suspect that will be the explanation. Clearly, if they have a significant overall survival advantage, perhaps there is something different. Who knows? Yeah. All right. I still don't like the explanation, but okay. <laughs> well, that, that no, suggests, no, I, I mean, that suggests no, you're no. not getting paper, second paper of the month, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> So I think that what, what Tom explained is a, is, a, is a reality. I remember uh, like uh, telling this, the Invigor O10 to one patient, and then he said, okay, if I'm, uh, I'm randomized to observation, I will withdraw I, I, because I want to receive something here. So what, how many times this happened? And obviously we, we try to prevent that as much as possible to commit patients to be in the trial. Mm -hmm. but, but, you know, observation means that this was open. So on, 
And in the placebo, they're receiving every two uh, weeks IV infusion that is questionable uh, as, a, as a placebo to, to receive this uh, for, for a year. But those patients were much more sure that likely they were protected. Who knows? The, the placebo effect. There might, might, might be a place for a placebo effect. Here, right? <laughs> wow. Um, this is a real stretch Brian, here. But... So, the, so, so, Joachim, the next steps in, we've talked about tissue-based biomarkers. We've talked about circulating tumor DNA. Um, we've talked about this uncertainty. I guess what people want to know right now is if you have someone coming into your clinic who fulfills the criteria for these trials, um, do, do, should they be getting adjuvant therapy? Um, do you and would you, you know, obviously you'd obviously pick nivolumab if the answer is yes. Um, and what's your position on that currently for patients who you see? And let's pretend that uh, in the United States that it gets FDA approved. Of course, I've got no idea if it will or it won't. But let's make an assumption that it's approved in the United States. Yeah, that's that's an excellent question. So um, still, still the answer needs uh, is that there is a trial option. Like the, the best thing is to place the patient in a, in a clinical trial. We have now this adjuvant proof trial where patients with FGFR3 that likely are not candidates for immunotherapy are randomized to receive an F anti-FGFR3 versus placebo again. Uh, we, we have the PAL trial where there is a benefit in the upper tract of receiving chemotherapy. We have the ambassador that is still accruing. I, I think that the, 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 the accrual will be completed likely. I'm not sure we're allowed to say, uh, are we, so, uh, so what? Uh, don't worry, keep going, keep going, keep going. <laughs> I thought I, I, I talked. So putting, putting aside trials, of course. Okay. All right. So I just, I just saw a patient who had neoadjuvant four cycles of cisplatin-based therapy, but had pathologic T2BN1 disease at cystectomy. So he came to me, it's really specifically for this question. You know, would I give him adjuvant therapy now? Would I give him, let's, let's say Nevo was approved now. Would I, would I do that now? I don't know his pdl one status yet. So Joachim, what's your answer? Are you giving adjuvant therapy? Yes or no? Well, if there is no survival advantage, um, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that's difficult just to recommend. Uh, I'm much, I, I have been, we have been struggling with the same question for a long time with the chemotherapy. We know that there are trials suggesting a survival benefit. And if, in, despite that, it's not standard of care giving adjuvant uh, chemotherapy. So why now do we immediately need to switch to nivolumab? Unless, as mentioned, I would like to see a survival advantage before jumping there. Although, if approved, like in US, people will start prescribing. Yeah, so I think that's exactly the right answer. And I'm, um, but my feeling is that I'm, I'm aligned to that. I think the chemotherapy precedent is that we don't treat unless we've got OS, number one. Number two is that um, the atezolizumab trial was negative for OS, so we need to wait until, and there are more similarities and differences between these drugs. So it would be wrong to assume this is going to hit OS. You've talked about the caveats of disease-free survival. The more complex question from my perspective... Can I push back on that, Tom? Yes. So it took, you know, multiple decades and meta-analyses to show that chemo might, that neoadjuvant chemo might have a survival advantage. No, there was a positive trial. So CMV was a positive randomized phase three with a, with a, with right. a, with a significant. And there were, but the adjuvant, I agree, it did take 10 years to show that meta-analysis. And I am, you know, but there was called a Sternberg study. And this is important. Right. Disease-free survival, 0.47, OS 0.78. And so that 0.47 is a lot less than 0.70. And that wasn't adopted. So, yeah, if, if you want to compare hazard ratios across the decades, yes, that's correct. Well, yeah. Cora's lives, he's only seven or eight years old. Okay, but, but irrespective of that, Brian, I, 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 understand, I understand your pushback. I feel that I'm, I'm being quizzed here um, a little bit. Um, 
Shocking, but I, but I do, I am inclined to agree with you that we do need to wait two hours. But what I was saying um, before I was rudely interrupted um, was um, that, that biomarker positive, 0.50, I can see a patient sitting down in my clinic saying, well, hold on a second, I can reduce the yeah. risk of relapse by 50%. That, that's bound to turn into a survival advantage, isn't it? And what's your take on that? Um, so someone comes to clinic and says, I want to be treated in the biomarker positives. Jacques, where are you there, Shocking. Uh, yeah, so uh, I think this, this is the only um, point that, yeah, so uh, likely, I, 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 as I mentioned, so likely this is the, the subgroup that might, might have uh, the survival benefit. And yeah, reducing the risk of uh, recurrence uh, like 50% is, is uh, really, really great. So yeah, so I will uh, think twice uh, before giving, not giving that in a patient who is PDL1 positive. And likely in the negatives, I still might recommend chemotherapy. And that's, right? of course, yeah, the... without. That's the 288 antibody, not the 142, because we know that's the one that enriches. Um, Brian, last question. Can I, can I ask you. a question? Yeah. yeah, a question about the survival. So let's say that there's no, no overall survival advantage. The hazard ratio is below one, but it doesn't reach significance. But now thinking far out, the tail of the curve, you know, is, is meaningfully higher at whatever percent you want. So you're, you're preventing recurrence in a small but meaningful subset of patients. Right. So overall, for the cohort, you're not impacting survival. But for this subset, for this tail of the curve, you are. What percent does that have to be to cause you to use the drug? You understand what I'm asking? Yeah. 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 So so I think here you need to put in, uh, in, in, in the context the benefit that you get when giving chemotherapy followed by maintenance immunotherapy with the, in the Chaplin study. So, yeah, because now sequences might matter in, in bladder. And you are raising that, that good point that likely there might be some patients that might derive benefit in terms of survival despite not being statistically significant. Mm -hmm. And then you need to put in the context that, uh, that trial that, okay, let's try, start with chemotherapy and then switch to maintenance uh, immunotherapy, that there is a seven months difference in survival. And uh, what's, what's the, best to, the, the, the best to follow? My next door neighbor is doing some drilling, which might have interrupted it a bit. But what, <laughs> but what I was going to say, Brian, was actually going to look at it differently. Why don't we just do this differently? Why don't we say that adjuvant therapy is over-treating a significant, perhaps even the majority of patients? And instead of looking for tails of curves in the long term, why don't we go down an aggressive biomarker route? route? CTDNA looks like a good start, but I'm sure there are other biomarkers that may be important too. And actually look at this differently. Instead of saying, Mr. Jones, who I said yesterday, yes, we're going to give everyone therapy. We don't know about survival yet. There's a 30% reduction in the risk. Why don't we try and identify that 30% of patients who really need therapy? Of yeah, course. No, it, of I, course, we, Of course. But, so no, but the point I'm making is let's not look at the long-term data of the curve. Let's actually look at the real data, identify the patients who need it, and give it that way. Because a year of immune therapy is two things. Number one, it's potentially toxic. And you really would need to have a survival advantage if you're going to give a year of immune therapy. And number two is it's not inexpensive. And so we do need to put that in context, I think. Yeah, fair, fair enough. I mean, we're always looking for biomarkers. Nobody would argue with that, but it, it'll be no, but know, we, how many years no, before that CTDNA study is well, out. Yes, but, but we've also got the pd one biomarker for the, for the, the Nivolumab oh. trial. Um, now, so, look, um, Brian, it's up to you. Are we going to award um, Joachim? Did he answer those questions successfully? Or do you think... I think he answered better than you did, actually. Let me add one point. What about getting uh, CTDNA from patients that receive nivolumab? Are we going to see this data? Do you, uh, are you aware of that? Because this will be the, the like the outstanding like 
Think I would. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know what's on the minds of those investigators, and I hope they do it. It would be terrific if they did. And wouldn't it be terrific if those two companies got together and went to the FDA and said, listen, here's some, some really impressive, uh, a really impressive approach. That would be a, a really nice way of, uh, of doing this. But let's see what happens. Um, Joachim, fantastic. Thanks, as always. Thanks, thanks for guiding, uh, for creating like. A Congratulations on this award. Congratulations really. on your very prestigious <laughs> All right. first, the I first second paper of the month. All right. <laughs> <laughs> See you soon, Jackie. Bye. Now. Here, here.